0: Hello and welcome to another Music Force series and this one is actually probably one of the most exciting I've been going through so this series is growing and uh, me and Amrit have been having a lot of fun and um, and as well I think uh, coming up with a fantastic concepts. I think this series for me are becoming quite amazing from the knowledge that we put here but as well the personalities we're bringing and as well the difference I think out of the box topics that we are talking about because we're not talking just about linear history, we're talking about big concepts about humanity, deep personalities, especially what makes us humans. And the idea of music for series is the music is kind of one of the tonalities of humanity. And that's what we're discussing here, the tonalities and what makes us think, what makes us um, inspire and take things to the next level. So today we're going to be discussing uh, one of the most uh, I think, contradictory and polemic figures in history, as can. And uh, I will uh, admit to everyone listening to us that is not my area of expertise. <laughs> so I'll pass the word to Amrita and to our special guest, Nevin Deschon. Um And I'm very excited about this. I'll be the provoker chief uh, here, but I'll pass the word. So Amrita, this is your show as well.
1: Well, the reason I am delighted to invite, to have Nevin on this, on this series is because we already started the idea, Dennis, of great controversial uh, and personalities in the course of human history. And we attacked it last in our last podcast with who has been able to take their fantasy bubbles and connect the dots and form a big idea, right? In music, we talked last time about hip hop being a big idea. And then as you and I migrated to different personalities who've who've created big ideas, it was in my view, a natural progression to migrate to Genghis Khan because he was and continues to be the emperor, king, ruler, leader, dictator, whatever you wanna call him of the largest landmass uh, empire in the world. Even to this day, the largest land mi- landmass empire ever consolidated in human history was by Genghis Khan. So what I hope to do with my good friend Nevin is understand how, maybe get into the why, but understand how he did it. And even if you disagree with Genghis Khan's uh, tactics or not, how his philosophy impacted his actions, and then those actions then impacted the rest of the dynasties in the course of human history. Now, the reason why Nevin is so important to this discussion is that about two years ago, Nevin and I set out, I read a script that Nevin took 10 years to do. It was a script about Genghis Khan's life. There was so much interest in the script that we had multiple bidders asking Nevin to write it from their point of view. There were many people who came and said, we want to have Nevin take another pass at writing the story of Genghis Khan from the viewpoint of a villain. Then there was somebody who came and said, "Let's write the script from the viewpoint of a king." And then finally, there was somebody who came along and said, "Let's write this script, Nevin, from the standpoint of Genghis Khan as a god." Yeah. And then I knew we had something. So I'm gonna in, I'm gonna open this up to Nevin um, and. Let's, let's have him tell us why this topic, why he took the time out of his busy day 10, 12 years ago to write about this individual. And that's my question to you, Nevin. Why?
2: Uh, well, hi, I'm Nevin Denchman. I'm a writer and a producer. Um, and I have a sociology degree, a BA in sociology. That's um, like, there's my background. Um, the, the reason I fell in love with the story was, I had always a, I like things that surprise me, and I had you know like any, almost anybody raised in in the West, Genghis Khan's the barbarian, right? He's he's the the guy who he's a boogeyman. He's something that might one day return and eat you all up. He kills and rapes and pillages, and you know I I was looking for something to write, and a friend of mine had said, oh, you should just do the Genghis Khan conquering things you know, like go, go have him, you know, knock down walls and kill people. And, you know, he's great and terrible. And I bought one particular book, I had a, I ended up buying a lot of books and reading a lot of different things, but I bought one particular book called Gangers Khan, The Making of the Modern World. And the opening of it is his mother being kidnapped when she's 15. And her, his real father, who's never really named, fleeing because he loves her and she tells him to flee because I love you too and I want you to live from the men who kidnap her. And then he's raised as a boy. And the story of Genghis Khan as a boy, suddenly I'm like, he's a real, of course he's real. There's no mythology inside of, you know, an unborn child kidnapped in the womb. Um, You know, two teenagers on the step going home you know, being accosted. These sorts of things felt like could be any day, right? You know, young, young people in love and having their lives ruined by bandits or bad guys or thugs. Um, and of course, one of the thugs ends up being his stepfather who loves him and raises him and treats him like his own son. And the surprise, even just immediately the surprises, um, the unexpected humanity, which was such, you know, a contrast from a man who makes the streets of Beijing sizzle with human fat, you know, 50 years later. And there's, you know, for me it was really answering a question of who the hell was this guy? You know, I, I, and I, I fell in love with that exploration. And I sort of also knowing my, my kind of like hero's journey bullet points as you're trained to do. And you're, you know, you're sort of starting as a writer. um, He's like archetypical. Um, just over and over again. And, and, you know, his adversities were always humongous and always life-threatening and, if not mortal, emotionally mortal. Um, and that's where I'm like, I mean, I'm not drawn to movies about punching people in the face and killing and raping if you don't give a shit about the people involved, if you don't understand why they're doing it, or at least you don't ask why they're doing it. Because then what's the point? It's just gratuitous, you know, it's masqueratory. And I'd I'd rather see a story with love and passion and hope and fear and understand the incredible will and drive of a young boy.
1: Nevin, I, I I feel that there's a couple of interpretations here of Genghis Khan. One is, even in your own script writing, one is where Genghis Khan is a young boy and he has this enormous hero's journey ahead of him he actually is the good guy right for sure
2: for about 40 years arguably the good guy
1: (laughs) so he is he is the good guy here and i feel like we should almost talk about that as a separate um myth mythology and then there's a point where it was pretty you know a lot of people believed he was the bad guy a lot of people believed that he was for creating more human destruction than human consolidation, right? So let's talk about what were the ideas that he had and the, let's call it fantasy bubbles he had during the time he was still on the hero's journey. Let's take that from say age eight all the way up to age 40. So what he was trying to accomplish his different fantasies, his different different thoughts and processes which formed the larger idea. And then we'll get to the larger idea.
2: Well, there's a a couple of like emotional nuggets inside of him. One of those is even though he is going to be this terrible rapist and pillager, his love of women. It's a very awkward thing, but he very much loved his mother and loved his first wife, who was his only empress, his only official wife, and empowered them and protected them and then broke laws about the enshrining protection for women because he'd known his whole life my mother was kidnapped when she was 15 and forced into you know another man's tent and even though he does that when he grows up he uh, he hates it he hates it in others and he thinks it he thinks it's evil certainly it's evil to do to mongolians you know there's also one of the things to think about is he's very much mongolian mm. You know, and and at the time, Mongolia, of course, is not this country. It's a, it's a, it's not even really a notion. It's just a, it's sort of almost like an ethnographic thing, full of diverse families, which are effect- effectively these tribes, these massive tribes, and it spreads and moves and churns. And one of the things he saw was the, in the grand tradition of great men, um, the the enemy isn't. The neighbor next door. It isn't the tribe over there. The 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 enemy is the foreigner who's coming into our homeland and making us turn against each other and the people who then truck with them and work with them against the other Mongols. And he really did come up with this or certainly made it the point for all Mongols. He, he, he ends up getting rid of the notions of these distinct tribes, which are basically nation states within this this area,
1: but don't you think and that came later?
2: It does come later, but it, I think right. as a child, because, I think as a child, he he learned the lesson of I don't know why I hate this, you know the um, the t-e-ky-ud. I don't know why I should I should hate them, right? Just because you know they're technically my cousins, you know distant related cousins, and yet they're also the ones who wrong me. But why do they wrong me? Because I'm here and I'm weak. Um, it's very You've much a,
1: identified too, right? You've already identified two let's just say narratives he had developed as a young boy the first narrative he had developed in his mind is there has to be some way to protect women right very powerful idea in that time of history the second idea was i don't want to be put in a place where i'm killing my cousins idea number two i think the idea of the true foreigner came later but let's talk about this revolutionary the protection of women almost deserves its own podcast right but so let's talk about the second one, which is, I don't want to, I'm Mongolian. What does that mean? How did he come up with that when the rest of Mongolia, which was a form of loose tribes, how did he come up with the idea that there is such a thing as Mongolian?
2: Well, partially it's, he made his own family, even though he had a family and, and um, you know, obviously he had lots of brothers and he had, a, he had a mother and a father. His father is very much absent. Um, and his stepfather fills that role, already he's blended, like right from birth. He's not just this particular tribe. He his, The tribe he's associated with isn't even his birth tribe. You know, the, Bridget, the aborigin, who, uh, by the way, I'm going to butcher every fucking, all of it, because I'm, I'm a white dude. Um, I'm just not good at it, but I love it. The, the tribe he's associated with, the tribe that's his tribe, the tribe that bears his name, isn't his blood truck right away family for him isn't blood and thus everything changes you know from from so early in his life he he is living the life of the bastard and yet also loved by the people who bastardized him and why not just get rid of the bastard then you know why not get rid of the thing that makes you hate and just be family. And you know, part of that comes out in the whole notion of he doesn't raise up the people who are blooded to him to high positions. He raises up the people who are loyal and who are talented. And he rewards them if they're talented and punishes them if they're not, or if they're bad, or if they're traitors. And it's really so simple. It's, like, I mean, it's one of those like, boy, that's a really simple idea. Raise up the good.
1: Yeah. But think them. about it as a young boy to have these completely revolutionary concepts floating around in your mind. Let's protect women and let's redefine the notion of what a family is. A family is not something that is tied together necessarily by blood, but by shared experiences. So you already have two, right? Two big, big concepts floating around a a 10 year old's mind.
2: I would say these are the definitive concepts because he does this for the rest of his life. Um, Even though he does horrible, I mean, I mean horrible without any like specific judgment of reasoning for why he does it, utterly horrible things, um, which are totally rational from his point of view. He's also bringing this incredibly, by the time he's super old, multicultural, multi-ethnic, multi-religious, which is amazing that this guy just doesn't care what religion you are. Come hang out, dude. You know, like. Let's go get a drink and talk about God. Weirdly hippie-ish in his like approach to. He didn't fit a particular like political mode. He just was sort of like, if you're with me, if you're good to me, you're my family. Um, you're and you know, certainly it becomes his family. And he is the father, which is where you sort of get it into his Robin Hood Jesus space. Um, but. It's a family and it, and it's about, you know, considering America's having Thanksgiving tomorrow, it's inviting people to the table and those who come are welcome. That's sort of, you know, stepping away from all of the details.
1: Let's talk a, about it, this third concept, Nevin, the one where you talk about loyalty and the recruitment of people, right? So I would argue that by the time he's 10, redefinition of family, redefinition of the, pr- the notion of protection of women. And by the time he's a teenager, Khan was actively recruiting people based on a different set of criteria, based on the criteria, criteria of not being necessarily related to you because of marriage or becoming a cousin, but he was he had a totally different human resources strategy than most okay. military re- uh, most military leaders around that time. He, so he was- had,
2: He had it. He had the it, whatever the it was. And I'd actually say he didn't recruit people. People came to him. He just said yes. And it's a really, I mean, all leadership is, is about making good choices. And I think, I mean, I really do think those are kind of the three pillars of his life. You know, he and he learned them through blood and, and strife and pain. He learned his mother actually was the toughest person he knew in the world. And she kept him alive. He he learned that his his future princess his, his queen would was loyal and faithful and believed in him no matter what even though he was a bastard from the mud waters you know like he his, his some of his brothers betrayed him and tried to kill him others stood by him and loved him no matter what and spent their entire lives trying to prove to him we're not like the other brother and other men would come and help him just because it was the right thing to do you know he had a he had his horses, like you know, apocryphal stories. If maybe they're all kind of tied to the mythology, but like his horses are stolen. He goes riding off to try to get them back. He bumps into a shepherd. The guy's like, "What are you doing?" And Khan's going, and Temujin, the boy, is like, "Well, someone stole my horses." And the shepherd throws down his his uh his rod and goes, "You know, damn it, your troubles today are my troubles tomorrow. Let's go." And he rides off. And it's very like grand adventure. Again, like every one of these is like a set piece. Um, but he rides off with a stranger and the stranger throws his lot into them because it's the right thing to do. And then they go and they face danger. And, and Temujin also had a very clear thing. If you face danger with me and you don't run away, I can trust you.
1: So it's HR recruitment strategy in effect, right?
2: They're very, very simple. Very step, simple, smart, like, and and it he didn't get wrapped up in complexities. Um, he didn't really, you know, as far as I can kind of tell, he didn't. He really wasn't about complexities. It's about simplicities. He's about making it so you didn't have to think about it. It's a it's a weird thing that it, it reminds me of this, but it reminds me of how I read an article once about Barack Obama having a closet full of the same outfits, so he didn't have to pick them because he didn't have the he didn't have the 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 energy it would take to pick his outfit, would distract from the day's work, the decision-making, you know, the worrying over just something that small. So Temujin didn't really worry about small things. He worried about important things. And he was really guided by that. But over and over again, protects the women he loves and demands the other men do the same. Um, he recreates family by a bond of love and loyalty and faithfulness and talent, um, not blood. and um good god I just blanked on the third one um
1: oh, the, bl- the, the third one is his very distinct <laughs> hr oh
2: yes and <laughs> recruitment. strategy
1: and of he, taking and choosing people based on competence and loyalty
2: he, he, which a lot of it, leaders
1: didn't do at that time he,
2: he really broke um kind of broke the chains of the system and it, in in um in mongolia there's this notion of um two kind of two types of royalty blackboned and and um white boned and he was always on the wrong side of nobility it's like your stepfather was the con you're just kind of the last dude left alive from your tribe the last eldest kind of not really his son um so you're not really noble if they wanted to they could always slur him and the properly full-blooded nobility well they're always very petty about things and he he literally had his entire life destroyed had nothing, built it back up. And so everything was good to him. Everything he had was good to him. He never, even though he, his famous quotes about, you know, when you're hungry and you eat, your appetite keeps growing. um, Like a ravenous character. He also did weirdly, did not covet what other people had. He coveted them to go the fuck away. Stop trying to take what's mine. Stop, Attacking me. And you'll see over and over again, whether it was good politics or actual history, he reacts to, you know, like arguably his, his reason for invading China, you know, and conquering the Jerk and Jin and, you know, eventually um, burning Beijing is because of historical wrongs against Mongolians and the continued telling us to send tribute and telling us to do what you want and making us weak and small and turning against each other. So let's talk
1: about this fourth idea, Nevin. So we've got our first three, women, redefinition of family, uh, redefinition of loyalty and uh, competence among soldiers, right? The crafting of the system. The fourth idea, I think that at least I read in your script was this notion that there is a unified Mongolia. There's such a thing as Mongolia, and to further define that thing, you also have to identify a foreigner. You also have to find an enemy that helps you define your thing. And that enemy were, there were many nation states, you know, at that time, first one being China. China was a natural target in the redefinition of Mongolian tribes into Mongolia. Let's talk about that for a second. And then I'd love to talk about how that all went, how these ideas then had a completely new titanic shift into something that became potentially very destructive for humanity. So China um, will go to the other ones.
2: So China has this, you know, everyone, you know, when you say China, you sort of simplify China. China is really big and complex and, diverse and full of different cultures and languages and um, um, ethnographic groups. But as a lump sum, China was continuously raided and occasionally conquered by the Northern barbarians, Mongolians and and what we now call Mongolians or other steppe tribes. And I mean, you can see it in Europe too, you see the same thing, these big powerful military organizations kind of get up and go one day um, for whatever reason, and kick the crap out of civilization. And then they stay hmm. and then they become civilization. And at the time of Temujin of Genghis Khan, Khan the the emperor of, of the Northern of three empires in China was sort of the descendant of one of those previous conquests. And I think they kind of knew it. I think they probably were like, we're not really Han Chinese We're kind of little, were a little different, um, and they also knew very much that occasionally the Mongolians all kind of like get together, and then it's really hard to stop them from doing horrible things to us. And so they had kept their finger in Mongolia, stirring the pot for generations, to make sure that they would fight each other, and they would keep changing their favorites based on who got strong, and turning them, you know, as if you're the young upstart maybe that old big rich powerful con he's a little too strong yeah we should make sure the 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 somebody else kind of becomes the big man on the step and
1: that's a common foreign policy tactic of course i mean
2: we all do it disruption
1: create disruption among your neighbors so that they uh they're fragmented and they're not they don't become a powerful state to challenge you so china was doing it at that time and
2: and they really did it um, through economic means, they funded, they funded and armed, you know, just like
1: mm-hmm. the
2: West does, and China's yes. doing now again, and all the rest of us. All, all the, it's not a new story, but it was very much one that was brutal for Temujin, um, and he lived it personally. Yeah, and, and he and blamed he, felt,
1: them. he blamed the Chinese or the the overlords in China who funded the rebels in Mongolia for his well, for his misfortune.
2: He had. One, a semi-mythological story about the a, a great Khan of the tribe he was kidnapped into, who had once united the Mongols and invaded um China. So he had a story to look up to and say, well, maybe it's possible. Never really thought about it, but it's sort of like the legacy, like George Washington chops down an apple tree, kind of wow, pretty he doesn't tell a lie. Wow, well, these are things to live up to. Um and then he lived it on the step where he saw best friend and blood brother end up turning against him for many, 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 many different reasons. But among the reasons was the Chinese had sort of picked that side and I'm very broad stroking here, but the, the Chinese kind of picked Yamaka's side in their feud that ended up being this great civil war among the Mongols. Um, and he didn't pick the Chinese side. He, you know, Te- Imogen was not in for that. He was, Like, why would I swear loyalty to you guys? And what what is this all? I'm here, you're way the hell over there. And by the way, you're helping the people who are killing my friends and have turned people against me. Um, It's very simple. It's always very simple for him. It was always immediate. He never like looked and thought deeply about what was over the hills. He was always, why the hell are you over here fucking with my shit? Let me just do what I'm gonna do. And it sort of forged, you see this over the, as he grows up, he kind of goes from this very driven boy into a very driven man, but he has been beaten, he's been hammered, he's been forged by all this external, from his perspective, impacts over and over and over and over. And when he would talk about foreigners, he'd lived it. It wasn't, you know, some fascist bullshit from the 30s about otherization. It was, he really did have foreigners coming in and fucking with his world. Um, and he just wanted them to stop. It's, it, it's, and, and of course, it's a great story to say to your, your fellow, um, you know, your neighbors, the problem isn't you and me or the guy who lives down the street. The problem is the people over there who are coming into our neighborhood and Turning us against each other. Oh, and by the way, it's true. You know, at his stop me if I get too far ahead. But at his effective coronation, after he's elected Khan, it's both this spiritual. Um, he's kind of a, he's kind of anointed the great shaman of Mongolia. He's united all the tribes. He declares all the tribes are over. We're now one people. He's a, a the fact that the Mongolians show up is the acclamation. And he kind of like comes down from the mountain after going on a spirit quest and declares these things. And shortly thereafter, emissaries from the Jurchen Jin Chinese Empire show up and demand like, you know, that in the, in the, this is Sparta moment, you know, demands he submit now that he's, you know, king, submit to your, your betters. Mm-hmm. And um, he turns his back on them and walks away. Which would have been a terrifying thing to do. I mean, he's the—he's this great warlord. He's this all-conquering man. But the Chinese are the Chinese. They're—they're they're countless, um, and they're civilized, and they're—they're they're powerful and wealthy. And you know, you're a barbarian step warlord. You know, he knew who he was. Also, there's no way he's going to bend the knee. Um,
1: Let's fast forward a little bit. Let's fast forward to. Okay, he is now the Khan. He has all of Mongolia, as you mentioned, consolidated, united. And then the Chinese come and say, okay, we recognize you as Mongolia, but Mongolia is still part of us. He beats the Chinese. Let's say we're already there. He's completely conquered the foreigner. When is the shift? When do you, as a, as a writer and as a historian, think he went too far in terms of misinterpreting his own philosophy? Right? Because we've I got mean, some powerful things. Yeah. We've got women. We've got family. We've got recruitment. Number three, we've got Mongolia as a as a unified spiritual concept under Genghis Khan. When did he start messing with his own rules? Which well, goes I, <laughs> Our earlier uh, podcast is you have your rules. When do you go off the rails of your own rules?
2: Oh, well, I, I would make the argument. He never, his rules were wrong, actually. I think his rule is ruled, really simple, he got all these great ideas and, and he really lived them and he enforced them for Mongolia for Mongol people, for ethnic steppe tribe folk. He would expand that notion of Mongolia a little bit and what it meant to be Mongolian into the other sort of floating steppe tribes that would intermarry and and sort of move towards Korea or south towards uh, the, the Gobi Desert or whatever. But very much this notion of the civilized and us. And the civilized was some like a slur, right? You you were sedent, you you were sitting in a chair, like I am right now. We're all sitting in chairs rather than walking on your feet or riding on a horse. This weakness intrinsic to that, and so he didn't see them as human as much as he was human. And his other so nomadic.
1: That is that's the moment, and I I know Dennis, you're you're itching to say something here. Wouldn't I, know, you I want it?
0: just to because you guys are you have a massive amount of research. Um, that, of course, I don't. But I, I want just to contextualize for people listening to us the achievements of the personality. Uh, I think the negative stuff, I think, are more or less known. But I think you mentioned the territory, and I think it's quite interesting. And then I have a question for you, Devin, because, of course, you, you wrote some amazing film scripts, and you've been involved in some of the most uh, radical experiments in television and film uh, in the last decade, which I admire a lot. So I want to talk about the process that you did here. And I'm a big admirer oh, wow. of someone who takes it in. But one of the things that, my first question, so just as a note is, um, so effectively the territory which he kind of ruled was over euro reaching as far west as Poland and as far south as Egypt. It was as well under him that uh, the, actually I was there in this last summer, so for me it's more political because, not political, more personal because I visit the place um, so all the the areas of uh, the <clears throat> that are considered the the all the, the part of the the spices and the and this kind of uh, which is still a bit of a a point right now that is kind of everything of marco polo to the silk road uh, it was partly something that he was managing as well Mm -hmm. And as well, there's a lot of other things like ruling as well, the Chinese Empire, which in itself is quite a big thing, Being especially uh, being (laughs) Mongol, uh, which for the Chinese probably was not an easy thing. But my question is, in terms of the research you did, Nevin, because I know that you and Rita have multiple heads, which I I share with you guys, but you have much more on the heavy research. How did you find the research? Because, of course, there's a lot of historical, for instance, I went actually to a building um, in August, there where Marco Polo was. And the building still exists after 800 years, which was from the time of Genghis Can. But um, in terms of the research, what kind of documentation and sources did you use? Because I think that's interesting for this series. Well, let's try to go to the source.
2: I mean, one, well, one, I, I first stumbled into the notion of even researching it, um, you know, the very, very first thing I did was watch like a History Channel, Genghis Khan conquering shit. <laughs> like yeah, documentary Well and i and that taught me how much i really didn't care about any of that <laughs> and i just sort of like i don't remember exactly how i fell into it but it's sort of like i think i probably did the equivalent of googling or walking into a bookstore um probably a bookstore at, at that time it was, it was 2005 when i first started to get into it um it was like the 300th anniversary of his birth i think something something so it was, so it was probably wrong it, it My memory, I haven't explored that memory for a very long time, so I actually don't know exactly. Um, But it felt like it was around an important um, time. And I just sort of like went to a history section and it's like Genghis Khan stuff. And the, the Genghis Khan, the making of the modern world, and there were a couple of that one sticks with me because it was it really just told that childhood story. Um and then there's a bunch of other books. I just really got into it through book reading and I love book reading. Um and I'm a bit of a history buff. Like I I watch YouTube channels about history, like I watch Fall of Civilization and you know ancient Sumer. I'm in I'm into like a Mesopotamian kind of like space right now, just to be like, where do we come from? Um also that's sort of like a general thing for me. I am I'm always curious about where do we come from and where the stories we tell come from. Um, so yeah, shitty history channel, TV show, and a bunch of different books. And then got into, looked at Wikipedia. Wikipedia is not a good reference for detail, but it's a very good reference for flow. It won't give you correct almost anything other than probably this, then that, then this, then that. Thanks. And also, oh, there's a name with a link. I'll click it. What is it? Where does it take me? So I rabbit holed very, very actively rabbit holed through Wikipedia. And then I went and looked at the references. Or I would search the the name of the person, you know, like his his mother is her name is Helen or Hulan. Um go look at who she is. Uh, you know, try to find different articles, or like you'll bump into web pages by people who are fans who just are sort of like. I love these particular lineages. Or maybe I'm actually Virgin from, from Mongolia and I this is my family or all that kind of stuff. And I basically never said no to any kind of input. And I would just make notes, lots and lots of notes. And of course, I have the benefit of not having to be historically accurate. I'm not writing a historical document. I'm writing a movie. And my goal is to entertain you. And I abs. there was a moment very early on where I realized I'm fucked because... You know he historically re, the reality of when he becomes Khan and moves out of Mongolia, he's like forty five. Yeah, and for a feature film to go boy to king, and king is forty five, uh, with lots of downtime, <laughs> it's a uh, not a good story. So I I made this and I'm you know I'm absolutely the Hollywood guy where I made the decision to, to cut cut it down and keep it young and keep all of the event that I could, that I loved, that I thought was important to tell the tale. But forgive me my trespasses. You know, he, he's a 20 something year old man when he becomes King. Um, and, and I totally am cheating, but I know I'm cheating. That's the other thing I was trying to really hard to do was to make sure I at least understood the things that I was doing. And I could tell you why I did it and own it. And, I, and I, that authenticity that accountability was something I liked about Genghis Khan. Um, and I didn't see so much in the world or, you know, Hollywood or wherever. And I thought the idea of, well, look, here's the reason I'm telling the story this way. Um, and there is one other great piece of history we have. Mongolia, when Khan, when Temujin was born, didn't have a written language. By the time he died, he adopted one He's a great adopter of things too. Um, He absolutely said, oh, that thing works, let's use it. Um, So he adopted a written language to do the best of getting Mongolian recorded. And again, he's a very honest person. So at his death, he demanded his friends tell the truth of his life in total, and they recorded it. And it wasn't like, and then go tell everybody. Yeah, go tell everybody I was a slave. Go Tell everybody I'm afraid of wolves. Go tell everybody my firstborn son is a child of rape by another man, and he's a bastard. It was more called the secret history of the Mongols. I think some people have probably heard of it. It was this sort of epic Iliadic poem um, that was for the family and was so they could always know where they came from and know you're not God. And as like when the, the people were saying, I want to see. Genghis Khan is a God. I'm like, that's exactly what he didn't want. Um, He was furious about, I am a spiritual being. I am great. And I don't know why, but I definitely blame the eternal blue sky and, and the God mountain and things bigger than me for making me great. Um, And he had a saying of how you could stand the tallest mountain, but you still didn't touch the sky. You could see the whole world, but you weren't the sky. Um, So the, so he, was never about, and i again, I'm like, I'm pulling away from my resources, but finding that didn't happen in the first book I read. Um, you know, that happened in being asked to see if he was a god.
1: Yes. All right. What, I'll go target so, that. What's so fascinating here, Nevin, is we're, we're listening to you talk about your creative process to understand someone else's creative process. Right. Well, it's all so. filters.
2: Everything's a filter. You're not me. I can't, you can't get in my head. Yeah. Um, but you can probably do a good approximation of telling my story as you know it. <laughs> and depending on how much you care about my story or care about me or whatever, you'll do a better or worse version of it or more biased. I mean, bias is one of those things I'm a big fan of getting to my head around. Because if you understand, this is my sociology coming into my like the reason I referenced being a, a undergraduate and you know a B.A. in soci, um, in qualitative, not quantitative, um, was because bias is important to understand, so you can understand the information you have.
1: So when you, you worked, when you embarked on this creative process to understand Khan's creativity, did you go in with certain? preset ideas that Absolutely. you're looking for reinforcements or not. And Dennis, I would I would hearken it back to you. Is, is that a good thing? Have you seen that necessarily work for people? Because I've certainly, you know, I wrote a book about the Buddha and about Radha Krishna. I tried to go in without biases. And here we're talking to Nevin who said, no, I definitively went in with biases and it worked yeah. for me. Right?
2: I, I can't undo my biases. That's the other thing I kind of like realized at some point in my life, like I can't stop. It was like, you know, I'm straight. I can't be gay. I can't force it, you know? I couldn't just do it um, and love it. You know, I just, I could, it, it, it's like, so I have, I have things inside of me that are what I feel. And this is the artist in me. This is, this is the growing up in an artistic family. This is why I like writing, is it's expression. And once you start to filter expression through the expectation of others, you're going to lose your authenticity and you're going to lose touch with your reasons why. And it won't be as good, um, which is kind of like the penultimate re- or the ultimate reason to, you know, to care about that. So understanding this my this biases process, and also I really knew it.
1: In this process, Nevin, you walked in with the bias that Khan was great.
2: Would you? No, I walked in with a bias that he was a murderer and a barbarian and a rapist and arguably the greatest man who ever lived. Interesting. That was, that was like, wow, <laughs> Yeah, I might, and it's because it's true, right? You don't conquer from the Pacific. You know, you don't, I don't need to, to list all the things he conquered, but as you said, the, the, the greatest empire a single man has ever put together. And he did it. <laughs> he fucking did it obviously he's great within the, the grandest version of the word. um also he really did rape and pillage he killed millions you know like there's there's the stories of what percent of the world is descended from him personally you know like there is grand contrast inside of his character clearly also you could walk from the pacific to the um, like the Dead Sea or not the Dead Sea but one of those little like the, the what's that Turkey and Russia and Ukraine what's that the Crimea you could walk there from the Pacific and at a certain point in his life there were no bandits on that road you were safe that's a great thing I mean that's great like good right unless you're a bandit or somebody he thinks is a bandit or a culture that Wants him to pay a tax. So, and, and I kind of, and I'm really comfortable holding those, con- like, for whatever reason, I'm very comfortable holding those contrasting notions. Like, I'm really not a binary person about, like, morality. I mean, there's some things I would say are absolute good and absolute bad. But also, it's really important to understand perspective so you can understand reasoning so that you can either attack that reasoning and disable it or, fuck, maybe they're right. Um,
1: I, I love that you went in with such strong views on this man is a murderer rapist pillager and you came out with a script that essentially told the story of a young, a little boy. Yeah, who, because no, no boy is a, the, you know? the
2: other reason I went to the boy and I fell in love with the boy story that the coming of age, I love coming of age stories. That's really also the, the secret sauce. You know, he had, his entire life is a coming of age story that fails, and and at the end of his story, he kind of acknowledges, I've failed. Um, you know, would, he, you say
1: Con, would you say Genghis Khan was a failure?
2: I think in his own eyes, he was the the dichotomy, of the, the greatest man ever lived, touched by God and failed, and and the thing that he, again, he is the child of a fifteen year old pregnant girl kidnapped like arguably on like her wedding ride home. He's a bastard born into a family where his, his half brother tries to kill him and rape his mother, where his stepfather loves him more than he ever should and teaches him everything. And then is betrayed and murdered by his cousins and on and on and on. The one man he trusted implicably in his life, absolutely that he would forgive over and over again. Yamaka who like, I don't think they were gay, but they definitely shared the same bed, um, and they definitely were the best of friends. He that faced childhood mortal danger together, and swore an oath when they were eleven or thirteen to be blood brothers. Because he had, arguably, in his own mind, none. Yeah. And the only man and he ever did that guy becomes the his second idea.
1: Lover. Remember, it was this second most powerful idea, which is we don't have to be related.
2: We're going to make our own family.
1: Yeah, Yeah. big idea. And and
2: that man becomes, to Temujin's progressive policies, the conservative reactionary, and betrays him and kills all of his best friends. Like, horrible villain in Temujin's life. And when he finally defeats him, he forgives him with tears in his eyes and says, I still love you. I still want to rule the world with you. The two of us are destined and they were prophesied you know, uh, to rule together as of course shamans do when there are two great men sitting in the room with them. And Yamaka says, I, I, you know, I can't, I will forever be the, there's only one sun in the sky. I will forever be the louse in your collar and the thorn in your shirt. I basically, I just like, I know I can't become a gay man. Um, he couldn't bear to not be the greatest, even though he loved Temujin. And so like romance, right? That's the romance, but also there is where he comes from and the dichotomy of my best friend who saved my life, who raised me up and stood fucked by me. When my wife was kidnapped, he came, I was nobody. I had no army, I had no money, but he came. He came and helped me get her back. Like that, like it tears me up just to say that.
1: Well, Um, I mean, I could see a script being written Nevin where Yamaka is
2: the hero. I mean, I can tell you a good Judas story. Yeah, Judas is the great hero, hero and the beloved but, of God.
1: Breaking I mean, bad, you know, Je- the, the Jesse character is, becomes the hero and the Walt Whitman character is now God. pivoted from being the one you relate to, to, to truly the evil, the, the, yeah. the villain, you know? So the hero, classic hero becomes the villain story.
2: Yeah, um, I'm, I'm attracted to those tragedies but I because they're universal. Just like triumph is universal. Um, And it's, again, it's perspective, it's bias, understand your bias. My bias was, I wanted to tell the story that I had never seen before. Also, the other thing I was looking for was something I'd never seen. I was open to being surprised. I wasn't that my bias was a closed door. My bias was my guide. And then I was surprised when, yeah, he is a murderer and a rapist and a pillager. He's also, of course he was a young boy. And boy, did his story of becoming a man feel like the greatest triumph i'd ever read and his romance with his 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 best friends was tremendous his love of one woman like blew me away um
1: i think you you just did something on the creative process something that dennis and i have been trying to figure out on the last few podcasts is creative process right understand your bias Understand your bias, but be open to being surprised. Now that is, that's something there, right, Dennis? I I think we can, I think a lot of people go into the research phase saying, oh, I'm going to just, you know, clear my brain, meditate it away. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't want to have any biases, but I think what you've shown us today, Nevin, is that, you know, there, there is this immense, Um, freedom of thought that can actually come from going into a process knowing what your biases are and just being ready to be challenged continuously
2: it it Um, requires self-awareness um which again i'm lucky you know like i'm a very introspective i was a very introspective introverted kid you know like i i liked having my nose in a book and i was constantly asking questions as i would read these books and just sort of like not even actively but just sort of like You know, you read a book, you kind of think about it. And, and that was normalized and okay. Um, And then I was, again, sociology really changed my perspective. I thought I was going to go into history and study history or like rhetoric or whatever. And I was blown away by a gender studies sociology professor. And I had zero interest in like family, you know, like family sociology. And, Mm -hmm. and then to discover, but it explains things. It, it was, and it was really important to understand where you were coming from. And then that allowed you to get to know where they came from. Yeah. You were asking questions. Your questions were biased. Not in this pejorative notion of bias, but they had bias because you are you. And if I'm talking to you about you and I am that filter, you are going to be filtered through me. So to try to get rid of that, you have to know what you are and understand as best you can why you're asking the questions the way you are. Unless uh, also your point is to filter, which is also totally valid, um, you know? And, and so, but understanding these is like tools. They were taught to me as tools in college for understanding meaning. And then I got into the business of creating me- meaning i had these tools to help me understand this shit yeah. um
1: that that is that's a great way to explain the role of a screenwriter is you're in the business of creating meaning when something could just seem like a, a bunch of random facts uh, i would say most good historians are in the business of creating meaning absolutely and creating patterns dennis i know uh, i know you're
0: you're muted. I I I, I cancelled my other side. I'm really excited, Devin, If you have more time, because I this is very interesting. I've been a bit in silence because I'm getting a lot of, uh, um, I would say, a lot of source from this. So so let's use in the concept that i has been dividing and uh, not dividing, um, defining in the series. So we've been coming up with a concept, Devin, that is find your atom, which is kind of the one of the things is there an that I love
1: particle. About.
0: <laughs> yeah, so, so I, I want to, before we, let's just keep the concept top level. So because you talk about the bias of the creative process. And coming back to Genesis Scan, of course, you, you create some amazing series of television that became cults and some of them still going, that are future. We're talking about one of the most divisive figures on, on, on the past. Um, and it's divisive by all logics, because it's kind of the paradox of the violence. But as well, we cannot look at violence in the 12th century in Mongol and look at perspective in Europe. Or even if you go to the, to the Egyptian empires or to the Roman empires, there's different ways of looking. And, and of course, probably I would say Julius Caesar probably did similar things to Genghis Khan. But with a completely different ethics of Roman uh, that is different, uh, of course, with the Mongol. And as well the tribes they were there before he became the, the personality that he became. So, looking at the finding your atom, and now I'm, I'm, my question, sorry, it's, it's a big question, but it's in two layers. One layer is, is your process of writing about this, because you are a, a, a writer, a producer, and as well someone that has control over the narrative. Because as a producer, you have control, and you can take things in one direction. And you can create your own bias. Let's put it that way. But but as a as someone that has been looking at future, past, and as well humanity in this level, how do you see the the idea of finding your atom when you look at a personality like this? Because one of and just as a final note, and this is my creative side talking. Uh, in the last week, I've been thinking a lot. First of all, about what me and Amrita uh, uh, mentioned about the idea of finding your atom, and as well we create a concept of. Uh, um, partly idea of the atomic level identifiers and the idea of fantasy bubbles. But then I I went to-
1: I think we should do a quick uh, recap for-
0: Yeah, yeah, for all of us, sorry, it's a big one. (laughs) Well, (laughs) uh,
1: let's see if I can get it done in 30 seconds. So fantasy bubbles are notions that you have floating around and you have to at some point tie them together to form the big idea. So Genghis Khan's fantasy bubbles are protection of women, You've got the family is not blood, you've got the recruitment, you've got Mongolia. So a series of fantasy bubbles that was neatly tied together over the course of his life. Now, with you as a writer, let's talk about your fantasy bubbles, right? You as a writer saying, I wanna be able to take my college experience as a sociology major and make and use it as a tool towards the betterment of my life. Fantasy bubble number one. Fantasy bubble number two is, I believe as a writer, I can find a specific narration narrative about this famous historical figure, Genghis Khan, fantasy bubble number two. Fantasy bubble number three is I feel that while I'm doing this, I can be extremely entertaining. (laughs) I can actually make you laugh and cry and want to stick to the screen. So you've got three very powerful fantasy bubbles here. And then What you have looming around that is this concept that I'm gonna experiment with my natural biases towards putting all these things together to form one big idea, which is Genghis Khan, the screenplay, Genghis Khan, the movie, the TV show, which actually now redefines for the modern era, who this person was. So that's your big idea. But I think what, Dennis and I found in our last few conversations is what makes you so special, Nevin Densham, in being able to tie these fantasy bubbles together? And and, (laughs) and what we found is that every individual must have, we're not sure, but there's a high likelihood that every individual past, present, and future has a unique aspect to them, which is their atomic particle identifier you know what makes me is i'm a bollywood Mm -hmm. singer that i have this special interest in history and humanities or whatever i think what dennis is trying to say is why you why are you the guy to do this for us sitting in 2020 and we're going to be listening to your story your version of genghis khan versus somebody else what do you think, Dennis? Do you think I got that one right?
0: I got it. And as well, put in the perspective of the past and the future, because the point is, is like you've been writing about the future, but this is a very, one of the most powerful figures in history. You put it as the top influential person. I would put Julius Caesar from a conqueror perspective, but I separate different areas, but I want to hear from your atom, like uh, Amrita why,
1: why you, Nevin, is why is your atomic particle, the, the right atomic particle to do this for us?
2: well I may not be so that's like I'm always I'm very comfortable and I could be wrong um you know and but I but I'm also very comfortable in following what wherever I'm pulled so I'm kind of like I was pulled into that you know it wasn't so much that I realized that my sociology background gave me tools it was that or that I went in with tools in hand going, I'm going to use them. It was when I was in rooms working on shows and realized I had these tools in hand. I didn't know until I needed them, that I had them. And I think that's like a lot of, again, there's some kinship there for me and Temujin right there. I mean, I I felt a very good strong kinship, not that I'm a conqueror or a great world (laughs) leader, but in the very, very basic humanity of, of striving and discovery and then accepting and changing and that, that, that stuff. Um, I'd also been, you know, like my dad's a writer, producer, director, he did Robin Hood Prince of Thieves. And for me, that was very formative because that was for me, the boy. And it was the hero's story in a time and a place where heroes usually machine gunned down. Everybody want to know why I'm not big into entertainment about, blood, just killing, because it was written into my bones as a child that that was wrong. That heroes didn't go and kill, heroes saved. Heroes put themselves between you and the bullets. Firemen, they run into the burning building. They don't wait for backup. You know, heroes are heroes because they will die for you. Really, like, simple. And Damagen put himself on the line, physically and emotionally. Over and over and over again. And I wanted to be able to do that too. I found some kinship in there. I don't know, like those the Adam also like there's not like a the specific, right? It's it's I always think things as a narrative, you know. There, there's and in all narratives, sometimes the narrative is just like kind of boring meandering, just like my life and everybody else's life There's, there is also incredible everyone is unique, everyone's diverse, everyone, everybody is unique. And I'm just at a for whatever reason I I do this. Um I, I jokingly say when I'm down about it I don't I'm not good at anything else which isn't true. But it is also I'm good at this too, which is another reason that I keep kind of going back to it. Like I'm pretty good. Um I'm pretty talented and like there's a selfishness in me. That, again, dichotomy, dichotomy, dichotomy. I'm like I shouldn't be saying something like that because that's too, that's the British side of me. I should be humble and, you know, not really talk about those things. Um, but at the same time, I'm good. You know, I get paid pretty well to do it when I do it. And
1: well, also I, I kind of like it. <laughs> I think we are finding your, you know, you with our help and together we're finding your atomic particle, right? Is that you have this unique perspective since you were a kid, watching your father write these stories of men who didn't rely on guns, To become heroes?
2: It was more men who didn't do violence as a first resort. And if they did do something violent, it was either in the name of protecting or it was a mistake. And then they would own the mistake and grow.
1: Yeah. So you, you take this childhood experience and then you combine it with your education with then your experiences and, All of a sudden, Dennis, we have the atomic particle formation of, you know, what I would argue is if anybody's going to write a script about Genghis Khan, it's only going to be one person in a planet of 7 billion people. Ah. Right? I mean, to write
2: write this script, to write it this way, absolutely, it's me. There's no one else who's looking at it from that perspective. I guarantee you there are some, some people who are probably a lot closer to the story than me, who could tell a really, really good version of it. Um, and there are people who probably are just fans and have, will tell a terrible version of it. Um, it's also, again, there's...
1: Don't you think this is such an instructive lesson for screenwriters it is like, you're out there in this vast ocean of screenwriters in Los Angeles, California with all these agents and every screenwriter says, no, well, I could tell that high story better than you can. Mm. And then how do you go into the room in a pitch meeting with the studio head saying no i can do it better and here's why here's my atomic particle as to why i'm your guy you know so, that's a pretty amazing thing to, to be able to go through right
2: i i had that dilemma when i was starting out like why the fuck me and then i realized that's the reason that is actually what you're selling it doesn't matter what story because there's always going to be somebody Some of them i mean heist movies are a dime a dozen right but yet we still keep getting wondrous variety and Mm -hmm. often good Mm -hmm. um, among every other genre, story, style, whatever. But the thing that you can bring to the table that is unique is you. And, and to anybody who's ever talked to me as an up and coming writer or whatever, I was always like, what you're selling is yourself. The reason you're in that room is not to sell what you're ostensibly selling because they're probably not going to buy it. (laughs) They hear real talk, probably not going to buy it, but they might buy into the idea of you that you're cool and interesting new and unique and just maybe they would take a shot. And usually the shot they'll take is when they have a problem and and they need someone to solve it. Yeah. And for whatever reason the things you talked about the way you talked about it you come to mind. There's no chemistry, there's no like Lego to that, like building blocks to create a perfect answer. It's it's just Magic um, and and there's a turn of phrase that you know overnight success takes ten years, so you need to invest in yourself. If you're doing Hollywood shit because you want to be rich and famous, you're probably doing it for the wrong reason. If you're doing it because you desperately want to tell stories and really want to express yourself and be seen and share and grow, that's a better reason. Um, that's a pretty good reason. You'll you'll see that often when you you hear people interviewed about this. Like I, one of my favorite interviews I've watched in the last year was Harrison Ford being asked about his roles. And I think of Harrison Ford as all his acting is Harrison Ford, right? He's just this plain Joe doing the same thing. And then he starts talking about it. And you realize, absolutely not. He is full. He likes a certain kind of character and a certain sort of story. Also, I'm sure there's some business decisions inside of those stories. But there's a reason he is very talented and successful. It's because he's introspective about his own decision-making for committing to something. That commitment, that faith that it's gonna be good, that refusal to, to give up, to do a good job when he can and, and you know, fall in love with the character. And when he's the other thing that was amazing was his ability to say, I am now done with it, you know? He's like, he only goes back to characters when he feels there's more story to tell. And it's fascinating. Like, I just was not expecting that. Um, I would also say Nick Cage, same kind of thing. Like, seems like a meme. And then you hear why they do what they do and they are intelligent and emotional and passionate. And suddenly everything, all of the work they've done was elevated for me. I could actually, some I, rather than just be the dumb American audience guy who watched, you know, Con Air <laughs> or or right. something. Actually, go and watch it, and then watch what he's doing. Like, like Nick Cage. Wow, he's making decisions. Um, and that's the thing I actually would say is really important in creativity. It, it gets me
1: to a- another question, maybe a, a pivot in this conversation, which is, I feel like you're now talking to screenwriters right with the experiences you're sharing with us you're actually talking to other screenwriters who embark on this process would you say that in that traditional buddhist definition of mind body and self right a lot of people don't have a defined self would you say that to be a good screenwriter you have to go in with an understanding of self yeah and can you embark on that process without a sense of self and be successful.
2: Absolutely not. I would, I would know. Um, um, Cause again, if you're doing it to fill your hole, then you're not going to have something to express. And it's stepping away from talent, you know, and wordsmanship.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: What the fuck are you trying to say? If you can't answer that question.
1: So you can't use the screenplay to fill an, a hole. The hole it's needs like, to be filled before you embark on the screenplay. Would you say or that? It,
2: or it, or at least you need to have um, again, again, it's stepping away from, from the specific of it and go into the more like notional the, um, if you do anything in life to fill yourself up, you're probably doing it for the wrong reason. If you're drinking, fucking marrying, making babies, uh, buying a lot of toys, you know, um, filling up who that's whatever we all feel sometimes alone and empty. Um, But, and it's cool to go fill it up with, external things but if you don't have an internal fountain as well if you don't water your own garden you know if you're not taking care of who you are for you then you won't be able to share that because anything you share will be something other people also have and and you know that's so like i think the definition of art you know like all art is expression bad art isn't saying anything doesn't matter if it's poetry or paintings or movies or, you know, vagina monologues. Vagina monologues says something. It's talking about something. It's trying to teach you something, share, and express things. It's the reason why it is powerful, even if you don't like it. You don't have to like it to get it. And I, and I think that's sort of, I would actually argue that's not just for art. That's for all things. Any making of things cannot come from the nothing inside of you. You need to kind of like, if you love making widgets, you're gonna make a better widget than the guy who's just there for a paycheck.
1: Dennis, I would I say fear, I fear that we're getting into some provocative areas, which Kevin is talking about is you have to have your atomic particle to be able to create art. And art doesn't get created without the atomic particle. And I feel like we've opened up a big, big Pandora's box here.
0: It's another fantasy bubble, let's put it that way. But, but I, th- I think here the, the point, so David, we passed actually one hour and a half. So uh, yeah. I think, uh, well, I have a lot of questions more, and this is a fantastic uh, part. I think for people listening to us, probably we'll wrap up uh, right now. But Devin, so let's summarize here, because of course you did fantastic, and you are doing fantastic work. And, and of course you have, I would say from your work and, and body of work, you have science fiction, more um some areas more of research and horror or violence or other things like that or even serious but what would be the let's say picking in Genghis can which is the the focus of today let's say if if you look at yourself in terms of you let's say let's say in 100 years um if we go all and i expect that we all live until 150 at least because we work in technology and the imagination, so you need to think a bit ahead of the time. And in the future, you, you work as well in, the, in altering carbon. That's what I'm trying to do in technology so, and ideas as well, because ideas, technology doesn't mean anything without ideas. So in terms of imagination, in terms of your atom, what would be the legacy that you would like to leave with your work? Like Genghis Khan left a crazy legacy, but as well an historical one. Let's look at yours in terms of the atom metaphor.
2: Well, I think true immortality is being remembered. And, you know, you talked about Julius Caesar is a reason you, you know that person. Also, he could have been forgettable. I don't know the space between that immortality and forgettableness for me or anybody, really. Um, because think of the, you know, 50,000 years of modern human history that for about at least 40 of those we have no idea who any of those people were at all and then you walk into a cave painting and you see someone's palm print and you know that guy or gal is immortal forever until we forget that cave or right you know lose that history they live forever so I'm looking to leave a piece behind that maybe one day somebody bumps into and thinks that's pretty cool. That's about it, you know? Fingerprints and, you know, the cave painting, the handprint on a wall. Like, I don't need my name in lights. I don't need to be a con or a Julius Caesar. I, I really don't need, I mean, like talking about my biases and being aware of them, it's not for me. It doesn't doesn't get me up in the morning. But the idea of le- leaving a palm print hidden in a room that no one's gonna see and then suddenly they do and they ask questions about it and they think it's fucking cool and they're fascinated um and they cherish it and they value it or some do uh, that's cool that's really cool i mean i i'd probably be cool if i was like one of those bog people dug up and they could figure out what i ate for dinner the night before that's another level of immortality right you're that there there are questions being asked and curiosity you know like julius caesar or the bog guy the guy had his hand on a cave they're all dead they don't matter anymore really but they have ripples you know Julius is a little bit bigger stone thrown in the pond um, than the other two but they still ripple they have effect and I think that's the other side of it having some kind of effect doesn't really matter how big it is to me I just want to have an effect I want to matter I think that's another way of saying it a lot of people confabulate fame with mattering or, or wealth with mattering. And, you know, because I think we all seek meaning, you know, we all want to know why we're here. But, you know, for me, I just want people to remember me fondly, you know, have good stories to tell. Uh, but that's just, again, I like the romance. To me, that's romantic. You know, I like this. I also prefer the small room. I don't want to be uh, someone who's being thrown up on stage and lionized and showered with accolades. I like, I'd rather be in a small room of people I respect uh, who treat me like an equal. That's cool. That I got, (laughs) you know, there's more to do. And also now I can open my own door. You know, if I, and I'm like relatively early in that process of my life, but let other people into my room who are creative who are cool, who are interesting, have something to say. Um, I also have a really, I am, I am gifted in, uh, as much as I have my own biases, I'm incredibly approachable. Like my approachability to strangers, to people I know or don't know that well, I'm just easy going like that. I'm very like, I'm not Midwestern, but like that Midwestern just hanging out and chilling. Um, I don't have this expectation of awesomeness or that someone should come to me on bent knee, and you know, then I'll talk to them. I'll dine, I'll deign to speak to you. Um, because you never know, maybe you know, they might be cool, you know, it might be fun. And if it isn't, you can leave. <laughs> you know, you just...
1: <laughs> yep. Well, Dennis, oh. I would say we're right, we're out of time as usual. We can keep these going for several hours, but um, I, I learned a lot about why khan and why nevin and why nevin's yes. atomic particle is the right person to write the story of genghis khan so i'm looking
0: forward to to see that and, uh, and as well nevin i love your authenticity and as well i love that quest of immortality through mortality i think that's beautiful and i probably wrap up with that because it's beautiful and that's poetic and it shows as well your strength as a writer and as a creator